Awesome. Thank you, Wendy. All right. You know, when we're uh, reading in the scriptures, I hope you're not just uh, reading in the, uh, uh, on the screen. You're actually pulling out your word. And, and I'm sorry, this is in my way. I'd like to be able to see you guys. Um, yeah, no one's sitting there, so that's cool. Um, I'm pulling out my Bible. Scrolling. I love the fact we can get our Bibles on these things. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking about Saul as David is confronted with an, a, a problem at this time. He's confronted with a very interesting thing that's going on in his life. Um, and Saul is the first person in the Bible who is triply, I mean, think about three times the Antichrist. Let me point this out. This is, this is kind of interesting. One, all human beings are anointed by God and we're meant to rule and he fail. And so anyone who is against Christ or the anointed one is an Antichrist. So that's one. Two, he was anointed. Saul was anointed, and God removed his anointing. That makes him an anti-anointed, an anti-Christ. Three, he is now actively trying to kill God's anointed, the David, who is the Messiah, the, Christ, the, the little Christ, the anointed one. So he's three times the anti-Christ of this passage. That's kind of interesting. And uh, I think it really shows us, as, as we, we, we think about this passage, we think three times David's enemy is also his brethren. And what do we do in that situation? What do we do? David here is put to a test that he's, he's, uh, he's going to pass this test, but it's going to be a hard one. Saul has been out pursuing. Let's go to that map. Saul has been out pursuing um, the Philistines, and, uh, and, and he's told that David was in the desert of in, uh, in Gedi, uh, which is uh, right over there. You see that marker with the little bubble? I know you can't read the bubble. That marker that's right by the bubble? Uh, by the Sea of Galilee, uh, the, uh, the, the, the big blue dot. That is where Engedi is. It's, it's, a little, it's a cave. It's a cave system there that, that he's gone in and he's hiding. And now we know it's a, it's a fairly large cave system. He's hiding with his men. Um, David has set out with 3,000 chosen men. So they're hiding in these caves probably a Syria cave, and, but David, when Saul arrives, he's outnumbered five to one. Five to one. Can you imagine those kind of odds? That's like playing basketball where you versus a team. That ain't gonna work. 
and David is in the desert hiding five times larger and you know it's no wonder he yeah I wonder if he felt like he says this the 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 pits of Sheol I wonder if he felt like well he's hiding in these caves now remember as we're hiding in caves we're not using flashlights there is no such thing as a flashlight yet there is torches and if you're hiding what are you not going to have lit your torches so you have this, you're in this dark cave, and I don't know if any of you guys have actually been into caves. I'm not talking about little outcoves, actual caves. It's dark in there. You could go like this, you cannot see your hand. I'm, I've, I've been to Mammoth Caves and Carlsbad Caverns, and I love both of them, and they're a lot of fun, but when you go out there and they turn the lights off, it's actually really scary. It feels almost claustrophobic, I'm cla- slightly claustrophobic, it almost feels claustrophobic just because of the darkness. It's like, wow. And so if he's hiding in these caves. You can imagine feeling like you're in the pits of Sheol, like you're in the grave, just in this darkness. And Saul goes inside a cave and for a little bit of privacy. Um, he doesn't, probably doesn't go very far in because he's just going in to cover his feet. That's what the Hebrew says, cover his feet. It's the idiom for going to the bathroom. And so he's going to cover his feet. And, uh, and unknowns to Saul, David's in that very cave. And he has this opportunity to go in and kill a man while he's using the bathroom. Wouldn't be the first time that's happened in the Bible. The book of Judges is another good example. Um, and, and, and we have this, he's got this opportunity to eliminate the one who is actively pursuing him, actively causing, wanting to cause him harm, actively trying to hurt him. It doesn't get any better than this. Saul is separated from his army. He's unprotected, thinks he's safe, has his guard down. There's a lot of shadows moving around. David, who's apparently part ninja, is able to sneak up right beside him and cut off a corner of Saul's robe while it covers his feet. How easy would it have been for him just to put that knife in Saul, ending his problem. But because David is loyal to the kingship of God, God's anointing, he, he, he says Saul has been put in this position of power by God. He honestly believes that Saul has been put in this position of power by God. And so David will not kill him. Even though it seems our logic tells us the right thing to do would be to solve the issue right then. So after Saul leaves the cave, David emerges and calls out to Saul and tells him of his innocent, of his innocent say, I'm innocent, I could have killed you, probably held up a piece of the robe and Saul had to look down and how embarrassing. Talk about shame. He put some shame on Saul. 
And in his shameful spot, Saul actually responds remorsefully. You are more righteous than me. Saul knows what he would have done. He said, you will be king. Just don't hurt my son. Because the, the, the natural thing, way of things, go read the Old Testament. When someone becomes king, everyone else that has right to that privilege is killed. Kids included. So it's not uncommon to kill off all the, you know, we had that uh, Game of Thrones was fairly popular. I know some of you guys watched it, don't lie. They killed off all that entire family. That started the whole movie or book series. I've got to be honest, the book series was better until he started writing for the movies and then it just, eh. Anyways. But Saul, he knows that he is lost. But he wants to protect his family. And so having secured David's oath to return, he returns and David retreats to his stronghold, which is some caves apparently. But as I think about this passage, I think about the, that, that it, it, it naturally asks the question, right? What would you do? What would I do in that situation? I mean, our first, well, of course I would act like David because I read the Bible. I know it's the right way. But let's be honest with ourselves. I mean, we know David has killed many times before. It's not like he was afraid of killing people. I mean, that's one of the first stories we remember of David, right? He chopped off a guy's head. So it's not that. He's put in a position where his enemy is vulnerable and still someone that God has put into power, his brethren. And he's torn. And to kill him would make him king. He would, he's the next anointed. He, all he has to do is make it to the capital to get Get the, the prophet to say, yes, I did anoint him, and it's going to save him a lot of headaches down the road. We're not done watching David run around. But what would you do? I mean, our natural reaction, I mean, think about it. How have we as the United States responded in kind? Look at our history. Let's take 9-11 for instance. Our first response was, you bomb us, we're going to put a boot up your well. Our first response is vengeance. Our first response is vengeance. And I hope you never have to find out whether you have to, the ability to kill someone. I, uh, I'm a firm believer that everyone put in the right circumstances can find that within themselves. But, uh, but hopefully you never have to find out. But, but, I, think, but I, I think everyone in this room, we've all been hurt. I mean, there's not a person who hasn't been hurt at least some point in your life. 
If you have, you haven't been living. We've all faced pain, times when we were rejected, times when we've been ignored. All right, there we go. All right, where were we? Oh, yes, we've all been at times where we've been hurt. I mean, there's not a person in this room that can say, I've not been hurt sometimes. And our first reaction, think about it. Uh, those of you who have kids, think about your kids' first reaction, right? Hit them back. I mean, that's usually our first reaction. I mean, my kids push and shove all the time. I think that's normal. But what would you do? What have you done? If someone's hurt you, what have you done? You got times where you've got vengeance on them? Or just wished them, or just prayed for vengeance? God, in your great mercy, rain down fires from heaven and smite them. <laughs> Or we just say, God damn you. Which is something you don't have the authority to do. I mean, at all times, we've all had good reasons to want someone to hurt. And some of you more so than others. I mean, we like to put things in perspective. I mean, the abuse rates are out of control in the United States. We know, I know that mo uh, many of you in, the, in this room have been abused. You have... Right. You have desires to hurt someone. Someone has hurt your feelings. We all have rights that we feel we have and we've, we've rejected. And sometimes someone has stolen from you and some of you have had stuff stolen from you and you know how the pain it is and you just want vengeance on them. Some of you have lost someone and they took something from you. Maybe even someone, a person. You've been wronged. And our options come down to we can either take our vengeance and sometimes that looks like a physical act like you go out and stab and poke holes in their tires. Or sometimes it looks more like we bottle that anger and bitterness up and we, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to I'm going to hate you forever. Ever. And we start putting our focus on that hate and that, that bitterness. And, and instead of focusing in on God, we're focusing in on that hate and that bitterness and that person and that act. That's what forgiveness is all about. It's not about not wanting justice. It's about not putting ourselves in that where our focus is on that, on God, the the hate and the bitterness, and the, and where our focus is solely on that act. And we can either our option, we can either pay it back, whether we just do it in our heads and we do it over and over and over and over again, right? 
How many times have you envisioned sliding that knife across that person's? You, ne- you would never do it. Or maybe it's not something so violent. Maybe you're not a violent person. It's just, you know, telling them off or you would never actually do that either. You just, you just have that conversation and you do it over and over and over again in your head or, or you, you just, but we have that option. We can either take back or we can love and, 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 and many of us think we can act at the same time we can do both. And that doesn't work. Now, love does not mean we don't set up healthy boundaries that keeps us free from being abused or harmed again. That's God-given too. You are valuable as a person. And so don't put yourself in a position where you, as the image of God, are being treated as anything less. God, love doesn't mean, hey, just because he's a person of God, we don't let the child molester go. Of course, we call the cops and we press charges and we, in this imperfect system we have, we press for justice as much as we can, but we don't seek punishment. David's choice shows us something. It shows us about forgiveness, about this full, we can we can, it shows us that we, we, we can seek justice without seeking punishment. Forgiveness is about letting go of that need to stab someone in the back. Just because they brought shame on him. This passage is a test. This passage is a test. It asks that question, how will we fight the snake in Genesis chapter 3 when the snake is your brother? And David's response was to sit patiently and wait through the suffering till a time of victory. Which flies in the face of what we think is victory. We see the same pattern in Isaiah when we see the suffering servant. And so we seek, yes, we seek justice. We seek justice, but we don't seek punishment. And they're not the same thing. A lot of times we think, well, if, they're, if justice is served, they're being punished. That's not true. That is not the same thing. Punishment is, is, is that gratifying process of evicting revenge on someone whether through your own power or through the we put them in jail so they suffer and rot you know they're not rotting in jail they're not free but they're not rotting in jail the united states is too nice for that we got too many laws for that some people go in come out they 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 have are better treated in jail than they are outside of it I met a man one time that was in jail because he got free health care in prison. It's not about punishment. Justice. Justice 
is that need that, that is something that, that we seek that we seek to make things right. Make things right. And it's often confusing and complex, frustrating, even elusive, transforming. And it doesn't always leave us with that feel-good feeling. Justice, the only true bringer of justice can be God because he's the only one who knows everything about the situation. You don't. You only know that you were harmed. You don't know the full situation. But David here, he seeks something bigger. He seeks a higher calling, a desire to say, I want more than just punishment and to solve my immediate issue by killing someone, getting that vengeance. I want something better. I want justice. So I need Saul to be taken out by someone who isn't anointed. I need Saul to die by God's own hand. I need Saul to go through till he is no longer, it is his time. And I will not take vengeance. But I'll let God seek justice for me. And justice is long, and he has to wait, and he's going to have to suffer, and he's going to have to go through it, and it's going to be something that takes time. And so when I think about this passage, I think, how does that change the way we interact with one another? Oh, how many times have you been hurt in the church? Someone says, it could be something as little as someone just said something that didn't, uh, uh, they, they didn't smile at you wrong. I've been, I've told, I've, I've upset people because I didn't say hi to them when I was doing something else. Um, we get offended really easy. I don't know if you guys have noticed that about each other. How does it change the way we deal with one another? As we extend grace and we say, I want God to be just in this situation, not me getting vengeance. I'm not seeking to do what I think is best in the immediate for me to solve my problem right now. I'm seeking what is best for the people. I think that's something that we all need to work on is we all need to work on something about solving those issues that was not just about me. Because we got a selfish problem, don't we? I mean, isn't that the mantra of the United States right now? Your truth, your, your, it's my, but is it? We're seeking something bigger. And so yes, we, we 
we, we say, I, I'm going to set those boundaries. David doesn't just say, you know what, I'm going back with you, Saul, so you can kill me. David stays away. He, he doesn't let the, Saul abuse him. But he, he separates himself. But he also says, I'm not going to actively seek vengeance against you. And I think too often we seek vengeance against one another. We think, my way. It's not the way I want to done it. I don't know the way we, you know, we used to do it, which means the only way I'm comfortable with. That's really what we mean when we say that, the way we used to do it. It's the way I feel comfortable with it. It's not the way... And so I think as we think about our next steps, I, th- I think our, our, our options really come down to so how, well, number one is accepting Jesus. We have to put that in there, right? Because that's where forgiveness comes from. Oh, I've heard non-Christians forgiving, but they usually try to forgive and forget. And I'm talking about something bigger than that. I'm talking about saying, I want Yes, I want justice. I want what's right. I want to make it right, even if it costs. Even if it's against what I I think is good for me personally, I want it for what's good for us. I want forgiveness. I want the 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 uh, to show love. This is an amazing showing of love here when he didn't kill Saul because of God's anointing. Who is he showing love to? He's showing love to Saul, but he's mostly showing love to God. Say, I love you and I put you above all else. And so that's why maybe our next step, maybe our next step is we need to say, I put you first above my own needs and desire for bitterness and hate and rage. I want to put you first in that. Maybe you're still at the point where you need to separate yourself. You say, I can't do that if I'm continuously being abused. That's not what we need to step back. Go to your stronghold. Maybe you need to forgive. Maybe you're at the point in your life where you need to forgive. That's where you're at. You've been holding on to that bitterness and that hate which just separates us from God. Bitterness and hate puts our focus on whatever we're bitter and hateful against. It puts our focus away from God and on that thing. If you're the jailer of someone, if you're punishing someone, holding them to that, that rock, you're chaining them to that spot where they hurt you, you're doing, you're not, you're just putting your focus on God because you cannot take your attention off of that moment that person to focus on God. Otherwise, they might slip away from you. So maybe that's where you're at. And I don't mean it has to be big things. A lot of times we do things over the little things, right? I mean, think about how mad you got last time someone cut you off in the car. I'm not talking about got in an accident with you. I'm just saying, you know, some of you is just because they passed you. I've driven with some of you. (laughs) 
What's your next steps? Father God, Lord, I pray that we may be like David. We don't want to be like David in, in identity. We want to be like David in this moment where he recognized that you had placed him in charge, Saul in charge, and that he didn't take his own act of vengeance, didn't take himself out, put it, place himself on the throne through violence, but waited patiently on you even though he was going to have to suffer. Lord, we pray that we may be like that, that we may place you, your image, and one another above our own selves. We let go of the need to hold someone in punishment, that we seek your justice. Lord, I, I pray that If we seek your justice and your face, we humble ourselves before us that you will heal this land. Help us stop putting ourselves first so that when we true images of you as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're gonna go to a time of invitation, a time where we're gonna invite you